Hey everybody, welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is episode 55. Wow, 55 episodes. Can't believe it. What am I saying? I'm lying. Yes, I can believe it because you people are awesome and I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your support over this last year and two months. Today's episode is another good one, at least for me. His name is Aaron Hill. You may have heard of him. If you've not heard Aaron's story, you're in for a treat. He's definitely a badass ultra runner, but in addition to that, he's a wounded warrior that lost his sight and hearing in the war over in Afghanistan. He was an EOD specialist. He also is an investor, and he's very involved in helping out other wounded warriors, and he has his own podcast, and what else? Why don't I just let him share it with you in the interview? Right after a little music, an intro, and a brief word about our sponsors, we'll jump right into the interview that I recorded with Aaron right after he got back from crushing bad water. Let's live it up while we still can. Let's live it up while we still can. I face my problems man to man. Hello friends, this is the Miles with Marty podcast, home base for running community love, and you are welcome here. We're sponsored by Squirrel's Nut Butter, and I really believe in this product. It is all natural. There is a total plant-based version, and there's also the Happy Toes product, which is just awesome. It's a restorative product as well as a lube that does a great job for your feet. So I am now a loyal user and ambassador of Squirrel's Nut Butter. Spread the lube and your blister and chafing issues will no longer be issues. You can find it on squirrelsnutbutter.com, Amazon, and coming soon to the local running stores near you. We're also sponsored by MetPro. These people are metabolism experts. Just because you're running all the miles and checking all the boxes with strength training workouts does not mean you won't gain weight. I can vouch for that personally. After I finished the uh, Keys 100, I actually started gaining weight, even though I was doing most of my workouts in the middle of the day, doing lots of sweating, and practically starving myself to try to get lighter so my running effort would be less. But I did myself more harm than good. For one thing, if you starve yourself, you're on a slow road to overuse injury, and also you're not making any gains from the workouts that you do. And so I was able to team up with MetPro, and just in one week, I've already lost seven pounds because they've got me on this metabolism fat-burning program. But once I get my weight in check and get down to the ideal goal weight that I need to be at for my height and for my running goals, then we start working on uh, energy level and how we can apply that and the metabolism into my training to make my performance better. And these people know what in the heck they're talking about. Check them out. They're on Instagram at MetProCo and they're online at MetPro.co. And I'll say again, it's not just about weight loss, although they're freaking experts at that, but they're also about using your food as fuel to enhance your performance. They are experts at that. Your metabolism that's what it was made to do. Give them a call, mention that you're with Miles with Marty, and they will give you a five hundred dollar discount. 
just wanted to give you a brief warning that I jumped right into Aaron talking because he started sharing some good stuff before I ever got the chance to do the introduction that I normally do. So just bear with us and enjoy what he has to say. And uh, I'll do the intro about five minutes into the conversation. <laughs> it's not like a perfect audio, so you may have to, uh, like, you know, we've talked before, you know, talk to me like I'm a, a five-year-old or a golden retriever. Uh, be a little more deliberate in your enunciation. Okay. Uh, and, of course, tell me I'm a good boy from time to time. <laughs> Okay, if I get to uh, if I if I get to where you can't understand what I'm saying, just stop me and let me repeat it, and I can fix that. I'm not a great. Awesome. I'm from the South, so I'm not a great speaker anyway. <laughs> Mississippi originally. I'm I'm down. I'm ready for uh, whatever you got. Red rock. All right, let's make so. Before we get started, what kind of animal is that up on the wall there? Is that like a uh, antelope or something behind you? So what was that? What kind of animal is that? The head mount that you have up there over your uh, double doors. Yep. Do what I have? Up, uh, something I have up there? Yeah. It's a head mount animal. Oh, oh, oh. That is a black buck antelope. Black buck antelope. Okay. Yeah. That uh, black buck, that, uh, you know, that story, that memory just popped up not too long ago. It was, man, 2015. I was at a uh, boot campaign, a non veteran non uh, veteran service organization in Texas, and we were an ambassador retreat on a uh, exotic game hunting ranch south of San Antonio, mm-hmm. and that was just a cool story. Um, it was a former army sniper, former EOD tech bomb guy, and John Hughes is uh, the proprietor of the place. Uh, three of us are in this deer blind, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> try, trying to get the blind guy a, uh, you know, a harvest, you know, shoot something. And, you know, long story short, I mean, this is actually the longer version is pretty funny. But uh, we finally, through a little teamwork, uh, a little equipment that might or might not have fallen off an army truck, uh, we were able to take a... Uh, uh, infrared, uh, you know, what are those infrared dot scopes, uh, la- you know, laser pointer type, uh, um, uh, you know, you know, uh, oh, scopes, yeah. you know, and and get my rifle on target. It was actually the smallest target from the biggest distance of all of the other hunters in in the retreat. So I got the best best shot. Plus, wow. That black black buck antelope is delicious. Yeah, that is a beautiful animal too, man. It's the colors on it. It's crazy. It's so yeah, were you cool. were you able to see the red dot? Say that again. Were yeah. you able to see the red dot? You said you used that laser dot, or did the person beside you tell you that it was on it? No, no, it was it was like team hunting. Okay, it, it took all three of us to get the dot on target so there was uh adam who the the sniper was he was like my over the shoulder spotter and he was doing micro adjustments and then john had the the scope the the um spotting scope right so he's looking through a, a different scope and he's you know walk he's helping walk that dot onto the uh the the onto the the creature's body 
and then uh, Adam was right over my shoulder talking to my ear saying a little bit left a little bit right up down all right you're on target and he said okay fire and then I would just go through my you know my army training basic rifle you know, you know uh, except for you know breathing trigger pull except for like the sight picture <laughs> um, right. and I just you know just went through uh the, the you know the routine I've done hundreds thousands of times and boom that thing just you know it just dropped yeah, I don't even think it took a stagger step. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was, it was all three of us. Uh, you know, got that, got that kill. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome that they have organizations that that do that stuff. That- you know, it was really cool. That organization they brought all of us together to become ambassadors for the organization, right? And they do some pretty cool stuff. They they. Uh, actually sell combat boots uh with their logo on it to raise money for uh your like the the fill it it's it's like a holistic a whole warrior health program they come they you know for for those service members that are you know um suffering from tbi and a whole lot of litany of other things that you know it's mostly that um the unseen scars of right. war, but they do uh, everything from blood tests to neuropsych evaluations and everything in between, and whatever they they help in this this they have this whole path of healing. So it's everything from meditation to medication uh, surgeries if necessary, and the the boot campaign is you know, an organization that helps get these uh these warriors have been injured uh, you know the help that maybe maybe fell through the gaps yeah um but you know the, the i've been i've been really well taken care of by the you know the va and the dod uh, before um but i know how the system works and how sometimes maybe it was the, the service member themselves just didn't speak up and let let the doctors know that they 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 needed different help. Right. Yeah, you know, I know it's I'm, I understand it's being a man and being, you know, uh this macho thing that some mm-hmm. of us have. It's hard to ask for help sometimes. And especially if you're a freaking warrior anyway, you know, uh I'm sure <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure you know that that is difficult for some people. And I know I was many years ago right at right. After the first, I think it was after the first thing over in uh, Iraq, I saw this special on TV on Sports Center. Actually, it was right before a Texas Longhorn football game because mm-hmm. it was the quarterback of the Longhorns. It was his best friend who uh, came back from the war and he didn't have any visible injuries, but like you said, it was the invisible injuries that he had, you mm-hmm. know, and he was just in bad shape. And, uh, you know, he was 21 years old and he had the things that he saw, I guess, and did or whatever. He just couldn't live with it. And he ended up, you know, a suicide. And uh, it just broke my heart, man, that, you know, our kids came over there and we had nothing, no plan in action to help them when they came back at that time, you know. And uh, 
it was sad. And it's it's good to know that people recognize that need and are, you know, are doing something about it now. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, years ago, you know, previous wars, the troops were driving around those deuce and halves and jeeps and these really thin-skinned vehicles. Now we have this these armored vehicles and even reactive armor that actually explodes outward to counter-react something that's exploding inward. And it's amazing, but that it's there's nothing is absolutely perfect and uh i'm reminded that you know uh, one of my eod brothers a good friend of mine johnny joey jones he just recently released his book uh unbroken bonds of uh, unbroken bonds of battle and in it uh his name's amos i think that's the, the story um he no physical signs of trauma but he'd just been in been too close to too many explosions and his TBI. It was just, it was so uh, great that he he couldn't modulate his emotions. His memory was, was you know, fading or terrible. And I mean, it was so, so many different uh, symptoms and repercussions from you know, that blast wave that just kind of travels through you like a, like a ghost. Yeah. Right? It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't go without damage. Yeah. Anyways, um, you know, I'm really grateful for uh, all sorts of organizations that helped me out along the way. I mean, Archie hanging up on that wall is hanging on a wall that was given to me by Building Homes for Heroes. And in fact, this whole house was given to me by an organization that is dedicated to giving specially uh, uh, accessible, specially uh, adapted homes to severely wounded service members and veterans. And that was the reason I, I ran Badwater was to help raise funds for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of organizations out there that I'm I'm very grateful to. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm grateful for them too. Well, let's get this thing on the road. Although all that stuff we've said, I've got to include it because it's good stuff, good information. <laughs> but uh, I'll go ahead and just say, uh, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got Aaron Hill with me today, and in addition to be being a badass ultra runner, he's also, I know he's a chef of some awesome fudge. Also, I've never tried it, but I'm ready to try some. <laughs> and uh, let's see, what else? Is, Aaron is a podcaster, and uh, what else do you do, Aaron? Yeah, well, we have the fudge, uh, the fudge shop, um, EOD Fudge, and uh, Extraordinary Delights. Where I'm, I'm a public speaker, so uh, I do paid speaking events all throughout the country, and we are we do have a couple of real estate businesses where we we find off market homes that need a little TLC. We'll either uh, pair those homes to other investors who you know fix and flippers and developers or we'll hold on to them ourselves fix them up and turn them into either long-term or short-term rentals and all all you know all during that that process we use private money uh you know investors like you and me that you know have um maybe you know 401k or ira ira money that uh they're tired of you know watching you know, the, the vicissitudes of the stock market and we give them fixed returns with a private money loan sometimes it, usually it's double digit returns 
just for writing a check to fix a house up. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great idea. So, and I'm a full time, you know, work at home, stay at home dad for two kids or three kids, including identical twin toddlers, because I shouldn't be the only one that's confused. (laughs) Cool. So I uh, I met Aaron the first time at the Daytona 100 back in December. He ran, and my friend Ty Aronson somewhat guided him, although I think Aaron may have been guiding Ty in some points, too, because Aaron ended up finishing before Ty. <laughs> Isn't that right, Aaron? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway... Aaron, before we get started, and, and also Aaron just completed the Badwater 135. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And that is an extremely tough looking race with the temperature and the concrete and all that. So I'm anxious to hear about that also. But uh, before we jump into that and talking about racing, can you go back and tell us a little bit about your history about one I want to hear, you know, if you're able, if you're okay talking about it is, you know, what happened with your uh, disability and, and absolutely, and yeah. also, you know, how you got into running. Not a problem. Yeah. I'm a former Navy chef turned army EOD explosive ordnance disposal, the military's bomb squad. I tell people, you know, I got my first confirmed kill with a cheesecake and decided to start saving lives and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I started doing that bomb suit job. You know, what was the movie? The Ouch Closet, the Pain Cabinet. I forgot. Uh, but uh, <laughs> terrible movie. But uh, um, uh, that's what I did. Yeah, I would deployed as an EOD tech to Iraq and then uh, in Afghanistan in 2011. I was an EOD team leader. And in the army, uh, each EOD team has three personnel, two EOD techs and a team leader. And the team leader is the most experienced, highest ranking uh, one on the team. And that's the one that gets into the suit and makes that long, lonely walk. And I was on a one year deployment to Afghanistan in the Kandahar province. And we were in one of the most uh, active kinetic areas uh of of kandahar province and it just meant that we were very busy um we we're running ieds all over the time all, all over the place all the time and they're almost always the same thing very simple low-tech um, oil jug you know vegetable oil jug full of homemade explosives connected by lamp cord to very rudimentary pressure plate of plywood and a nine volt battery. It was really it. And there's just, it was just everywhere. They were just, it was a place was littered and buried with these things. So every footstep was a conscious decision to give you some kind of idea how it was, you know, why people come back with PTSD, you know? Uh, so it was eight months into this 12 months deployment. And I just come back from, my two weeks of R&R leave back in the United States, I got to see my oldest, who's now 12. I got to see him turn one. And I got to see my whole family get together and witness them around the the, the dinner table for Thanksgiving. It was fantastic. It was the best. I call it the, the last page in the photo album. Wow. So 
I get back and uh, just coming back from the airfield, you know, from vacation, my team grabs me in the our, our armored truck. We jump into a supply convoy, heading back out to our particular area of operation, our AO. And on the way, the Afghan National Police called in something up ahead, and we were we were uh, called in to you know get to get to work. While I was working on the the device, they used the robot. But the robot couldn't do everything. It had it separated, but it couldn't get everything out of the hole to uh, collect evidence. So I jumped out and I had metal detector evidence kit in hand. I did not have the bomb suit on because uh, the the known hazard out there had already been separated. So there was was no call to get into a bomb suit for what was known to be you know a mitigated threat. So I. Walked down and about 20 or 30 meters from the original device, there was a secondary device that hadn't been found yet. And uh, that punted me into the air. I landed my knees and elbows. The lights went out and um, cutting to uh, through the, some of the gory stuff. And was 48 hours later, I was in Walter Reed you know, Naval Medical Center, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and blind for the rest of my life. Wow. And also cracked uh, my skull in a few places and was leaking spinal fluid right right through my nose, right through my sinuses. And it blew up my eardrums, but I still had some of my hearing. But, you know, that would be a complication. The, 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 the cracks in my skull would be a complication later. I got into running not very long after getting out of the hospital, actually. Uh, uh, while I was undergoing treatment, um, I started learning how to be a blind person. And I mean, we actually went you know, from Walter Reed to a TBI uh, spinal injury um, you know, uh, specialist in, in Tampa at the VA hospital there. Didn't spend very much time until I went to the Blind Rehabilitation Center, a blind school uh, at the VA hospital in Augusta, Georgia. Spent about half a year there learning how to be blind. I used my cane, used the accessible devices like my talking computer and phone and all that kind of stuff. Figure out how to pair my socks. You'd be, I mean, <laughs> there are simple little things that I had to relearn how to do all over again. Yeah. But while I was there in Augusta, I started, you know, you know, people would come in and say, hey, you want to go golfing? I'm like, quit messing with me. <laughs> golfing? And I didn't realize at the time, but it's actually a pretty serious sport. I mean, blind golfers are as serious as, you know, sighted golfers. And there's actually two national associations, the U.S. Blind Golf Association and the American Blind Golf Association. Um <laughs> So uh, I had a lot to learn still. In fact, somebody else came in my room um, and said, you want to go for a bike ride? Okay, now you are messing <laughs> with me. No, tandem cycling is actually another very serious blind sport. In fact, it's a Paralympic sport. It's very competitive. Um, and I started going uh, tandem cycling with the, the owner of a bike shop right downtown Augusta every Saturday morning. Uh, while, the time, while I was there, so I was going on 35 mile Saturday morning rides. It was pretty cool. Um, when I got home, though, 
I started looking up other ways to get out of the house and stay all and stay off the couch, you know, not be uh, trapped by my condition. I didn't want to be defined by my blindness. And it was just, I was terror of, you know, it was just, just complete fear of being stuck on my couch, maybe feeling sorry for myself for the rest of my life, popping pills or crawling into a bottle. Yeah. And I just wanted to get out and stay fit, stay active and, and basically just show my 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 kids that uh, their dad was you know, still a valuable you know, human, right? He could still do anything he wanted to do. And I just got to figure out how. So I started looking up, you know, blind plus, doing Google, you know, internet searches, you know, blind plus outside, blind plus fitness, blind plus whatever. A few names kept popping up. One was Eric Weinmayer, the first blind person to climb out ever. Yeah, I, I, I sought him out and I went mountain climbing with him. We went, <laughs> he actually took a, 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 a blind, a, an entire blind, or no, it, a, a, um, the entire team was comprised of wounded veterans up a 19,000 foot peak in the Peruvian Andes. Wow. Uh, Eric himself is not a service member, uh, but his dad, uh, is a Marine. And on the anniversary of, it was the 10th anniversary of Eric climbing Everest, he took a team up a sister summit to Everest, Labouche, uh, and called it Soldiers to the Summit. Then it turned into a program, Soldiers to Summits. And I was on the third iteration in 2013 into Peru. And of course, uh, it's really hard to find a decent mountain to train on in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I had to start running. Um, a, uh, a, just to, to stay fit, I, I, I'd also talked to, and it was at the time, he was actually still active duty as an Army Ranger, but he was completely blind and working for the Special Operations Recruiting Branch at uh, Fort Bragg in uh, North Carolina. And his name was Ivan Castro. It, it, I talked to Ivan over the phone. And during a conversation, he talked about how every year he made it a point to run the Air Force Marathon, the Army 10-Miler, and the Marine Corps Marathon. And I thought, oh, that's pretty patriotic and pretty cool. I you know what? I'll do that too. <laughs> so <laughs> I registered for all three of those. And then somebody suggested maybe I do a local race. So I signed up for the uh, register for the Pensacola marathon. And then I don't even know how I got talked into uh, registering for the San Antonio rock and roll marathon. And by some, another one of those veterans or service organizations we were talking about, but I'd never heard of this organization before, but they said they'd, Pay for my travel and registration, all that. I'm like, oh, cool, free, free race. And before I knew it, I was signed up for four marathons and this 10 miler, all within the span of four months. And I'd never run anything longer than a 10K in my life. That's all I got into running. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd also looked up. Uh, I found a name, it was Lonnie Bedwell. He's the first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. And, well, I sought him out. And I went kayaking with him uh, on the Yellowstone. We did class three rapids. And I mean, just, I was doing everything I could to show my kids that, you know, my difficulties, my injuries, the things, you know, you know, those hardships in our lives. It's just, 
there's you know there's ways around them and they don't it, they don't give me an excuse to quit and uh frankly i was having a great time too i mean uh i had a terrible uh experience with the air force marathon I actually had a you know a dnf i barked so hard i ended up in the er uh <laughs> but uh um, the next three uh, marathons all qualified me for Boston. Of course, that's um the blind guy standards. Uh, so uh, a little bit more relaxed than re- the regular uh, qualification standards. But um, I ran Boston in 2015. Uh, 2015 was an amazing year, or at least the first part of the year. Um, I, I was training uh, because of my experiences with uh, Eric Weinmayer and uh, Lonnie Bedwell and Ivan Castro. I was really looking for some really big challenges, and I wanted uh, wanted to do the seven summits, you know, the highest peaks on every continent. And Eric was the first blind person to do that, also. And I was I I went to Colorado to train with the team. Uh, to get this you know started and we climbed three 14,000 foot peaks in the same day i went skydiving for the first time <laughs> that's not as exciting when you're blind you know it's kind of like sticking out sticking your head out of a fast car yeah uh and went did uh did some more kayaking i ran the boston marathon and went hunting and got that guy uh archie back there the <laughs> black buck antelope and then um, in summer of 2015 is when I contracted uh, bacterial meningitis uh, uh, through the you know the cracks in my skull that hadn't been quite patched up like we thought. And I was back in the hospital, almost uh, almost killed again. But during the process, went completely deaf. So I had to had to figure out how to start all over again. You know, running it was the it was part of the solution. Um, it was um, it was a bit difficult to get started again with the running, not because I couldn't hear anymore as part of it, but when I lost my hearing, I also lost my my vestibular balance, that inner ear gyro. Uh, so not only was uh, the treadmill in my garage seemed like it was going one direction, it was like going in all the directions. Um, I came home in a wheelchair. I was falling off the toilet. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty bad. Um, but I just got on my treadmill and hit the quick start button half a mile an hour. And I would hold on for dear life. And that's how I got started. Wow. Um, you know, a year later, I was running my first marathon back as an Akron marathon, my hometown. And my comeback marathon actually coincided with the same week as my, my 20th high school reunion. And I was running my hometown marathon. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're from Akron. That's right. Okay. So yeah, that explains that explains the Canal Corridor race that you that did there. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Um, so in in training for the marathons and uh, you know doing your your long runs and all, did you do that all on your treadmill by yourself, or have you had you found people to run with and guide you for training runs at that point? Coming back after the meningitis, yes, it was nearly entirely. Uh, on my treadmill. Um, before then, no, I try to get out as much as possible with sighted guide. But because of my balance issues, 
it was for the most part it was right on on the treadmill problem there was that i picked a comeback marathon the akron marathon which you know sounded perfect hometown high school reunion but i totally underestimated the uh cuyahoga river valley hills <laughs> well it was brutal it's one of, still one of the toughest marathons i've ever run um maybe maybe for you know the the, the race course itself but definitely because i hadn't you know trained all of the correct muscle groups and as i got more fatigued uh i also lost more of what little balance i had you know we get we get our sense of balance three ways uh, you know, the, that inner ear gyro by being able to see ourselves in relation to to the world around us and through touch physical contact you know through our feet or you know if we're touching a, like me a countertop or a wall or something and just get more balance just by knowing you know where the earth is through touch but as your muscles fatigue you know my my muscles would fatigue and my responsiveness of course would would wane as well so i get less balance as as the time goes on so thank goodness for um <clears throat> my guide and a whole team of friends who ran like a peloton around me <laughs> some of them you know doing like the halfback blocking ahead uh you know calling out a blind runner coming through and i had a guide on one side and another runner on the other side and as i got so tired i was bouncing off their shoulders uh as they bracketed me in nonetheless that was uh my first sub four marathon and it's still my pr as wow. uh after after that i ran rinko marathon i ran boston again but that's when I, after those those three races, uh, those three marathons, I started looking towards uh, longer races. Yeah, and it's something about those longer races that make you slow down a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a twelve hour in Albany, Georgia, called um, Southern Discomfort. Yeah, and that one was. Did you call it fun? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you ever? I don't know if I could ever call an ultra marathon fun. Doesn't seem like the right word. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe among a list of other words, but you know, definitely an interesting experience. And you know, my first step towards uh, you know bad water. Yeah. So when you started back doing those, did you have a regular person that was your guide for these races, or did that change with different races? Uh it changes. Yeah, there are a few a uh, few people that have run with me on a, on a number of occasions, and I've got a few local friends that like to train with me uh, with some regularity. But it's not just one person. Uh, and you know, sighted uh, like running guide is sighted guide is um, um, <clears throat> not all that difficult. No, it's not that difficult to do. It's actually, I've, I've many times, I've just uh, handed. Frankly, what we we'll do is I use a tether, right? It's a just a simple piece of nylon. It could be anything, really. A t-shirt. A uh, I I took. It's like a, imagine a backpack strap, and I had a loop on either end sewn so I could fit about three fingers into each loop. And I I hold a loop and my guide holds a loop 
And then we run side by side. And it's very simple with a couple very easy to learn um, tricks or signals with a rope. We can go a single file or I can just you know when to pick up my feet a little bit more for a curb or sidewalk or, you know, uh, speed bump or something. I haven't uh, come across open manhole covers yet, but <laughs> I think I, I would hope my guy just navigates around them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's very simple. And I've, I've handed the tether over to first timers so many times and just said, yeah, don't be nervous, but also don't kill me. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So it requires a little bit of trust then, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, have yeah. you have you gone down before, uh, like tripping on curbs and things, uh, with their guide not warning you in time or something like that? I call it a strange day when I don't do a combat roll. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've learned how to fall really well, um, but uh, yeah, it just comes with the territory because, yeah. of course, I'm you know running without looking where I'm going, yeah. and. It's very simple when you're not paying attention to be tripped up by a pebble or a crack in the road or something like that. And um, I definitely don't want my guide to be so nervous that they're looking, you know, they're they're, they're freaking out at every little, little seam in the concrete. Right. Uh, so every once in a while, I just have a stutter step. And if I, you know, I just kind of roll into it. No big deal. Come yeah. back up. I'm like, all right, that was yeah, that was my combat role for the day. We got it all the way. <laughs> it's, it's not always that easy or or that uh injury free. But um that was one of those things. It was cool. It was the coolest thing was I only fell twice during the entire 135 span of bad water. It was wow. incredible. Yeah. And you don't stay down long because that damn concrete is so hot. You gotta get up fast, right? Well, uh yeah, yeah, the, you know, down down in the Death Valley part, it was pretty darn hot. Actually, even all the way up at the uh, the uh, Mount Whitney uh, portal, I remember finally stopping and standing around right there, and my feet started burning. I'm like, "What is going on? We're up in the mountains now." Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty hot. Yeah. So, just one thing, I got to go back and ask, just to just out of curiosity, because for a, a lot of people, running is therapy. So, and you in particular, you come from this, you know, combat experience and all. Did you deal with any kind of anxiety or depression coming back with all this stuff, or did they kind of help you with that when you were going through your like blind school and getting and healing up from your injuries? So, I mean, mainly, you know, I want to know, is has running been a sort of therapy for you in that aspect, too? Nothing you would call clinical, right? Um, but, of course, it wouldn't be human if I, I said I didn't have any bad days, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have any hard days or days where the doubt or anger, insecurities, uh, you know, well, the, it, it, it's human. And sometimes they take over. But uh, both when I went blind, and then again when I went um, when I went deaf four years later, that call them those those demons, those the self doubt, those little the voice in the back of your head that it just tells you that you know the what if what if I you know done something differently in Afghanistan, stepped in a different location, did you know uh, why me? Why why did it have to be me? Right? 
uh, you know, a smart guy, a fit, you know, way better trained than the bad guy. So why did I, why did he get me? You know, um, and all those kind of questions. I mean, when I lost my hearing and my balance, it was, again, it was like, why me? When have I paid my dues? Your lightning isn't supposed to hit me twice. You know, when, when is enough enough? When, when have I had my fair share? And all of those questions, like, why is this happening to me? It's, they're all the wrong answers. There's no, they're all the wrong questions. There is no answer. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a self-limiting, self-defeating spiral that leads to, you know, nothing good. Yeah. So I had to start asking the right questions. Right? I, and why, instead of why is this happening to me? Why is this happening for me? What do I have to learn from this? And then the step beyond that is that why is this happening for me so I can learn and then share what I've learned, you know, so I can teach it and help others through difficult times. Yeah. You know, and then it was like, instead of, you know, all those, all those thoughts of, I can't do this anymore. Uh, it, it was, you know, how can I do this? Because nobody said, nobody told me I wasn't supposed to go climb mountains. Nobody told me I wasn't supposed to uh, run marathons and ultra marathons. Nobody told me I wasn't supposed to start a, a you know a chocolate company or start f- fixing and flipping homes. Like uh, just you know, it was how can I do what I want to do a different way? I need to be able to show my kids. I need to be show my, show my fellow wounded warriors and basically the rest of the world that they're or other ways to do something and you can still accomplish what you want to accomplish even if and actually uh, even better than you know if you you know because of the the hardships in your life you get stronger because of the struggle i just had to go figure out how amen wow good stuff so going back to uh albany then and that southern discomfort so how many miles did you end up with that day you know uh i keep forgetting um Somewhere around, I don't know if it was 50.2 or 52 or something right around there. Literally forgotten. Maybe it's my dyslexia, but I keep, (laughs) uh, which I didn't mention. I don't know if I have it. Uh, It doesn't matter anymore. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, my whole family, you know, all the guys in my family kind of run with this. Uh, mild learning disability type thing, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia. My dad's dys- dys- dyslexic. Uh, apparently, I suffer from being tongue-tied. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, um, <laughs> that's that takes a backseat to the other stuff. And I don't even mention it sometimes because then by the time I get to it, it just sounds like I'm complaining all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, I don't even know what we're talking. Went on a tangent there. Oh yeah, the uh, southern discomfort. It was just just a shade over fifty miles in twelve hours. And that was my my very first uh, distance beyond twenty six point two. Yeah, and they hold that race in in August, if I'm not mistaken, right? Are they used to? Sorry, that that race is in August, right? It was in late July. Okay. Yeah. Close. So- yeah. The point is, it's really hot in Albany, Georgia, when you have that race. Mm. <laughs> and so that's yeah. pretty dang and good. For now, I know yeah. that I know they offer two options there 
you can, uh, they used to anyway, where you could do a daylight 12 hours or a dark 12 hours. For you, it's dark either way, right? So did you start at, in the morning? Uh, they didn't give me that option. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the only options were 6, 12, 24, and I think they had a, it was the new 30 hour um, that year. Oh, okay. And you just started when they told you to start. Yeah, and it was a more it was a daytime race. So okay. um, I think it was seven to seven. Okay, cool. So when you finished that, how long did did you instantly get the longer distance bug and go to looking for more longer races? Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was definitely different than I'd experienced with uh, the, the the standard marathon. But like every other challenge, right, every mountain or every marathon or everything else I've done that was really you know, hard you know, before and after I keep saying like I can't before I can't wait to do this after I can't wait to do the next one during it. I'm like, I can't believe I talked myself into this again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's you know, so, how yeah, so the discomfort was I'm running this one mile loop around this park. And um it's funny, it's it's all paved track the whole way. And um the only uh only piece of terrain in this whole uh loop is a garden hose that runs across the, the path to they had like a like a sprinkler or something, or to fill the the communal ice barrel and of course my guide uh frank who's frank fumick he's the um he's the guy ultra runners like there's the 100 mile runners point at and go that dude's crazy you know <laughs> uh but frank had just come he was two weeks off of uh riding uh you doing uh rom right across america so 12 days from coast to coast on a bike and two weeks later, he agreed to guide me for 12 hours around this loop and 50 miles. And I guess to get back at me for asking her to do that, uh, he forgot to warn me about the garden uh, hose. <laughs> so, you know, every one mile, I'd have a little trip on <laughs> and I'd stutter step. I didn't, I don't think I fell more than once or twice and do the combat roll thing, but <laughs> you, I would, I would, you know, step on it or stumble, scuff my foot a little bit, and he goes, "Oh, sorry, I, I'll get it on the next loop." Um, <laughs> uh, fifty times. <laughs> That's funny. Mm -hmm. So, so it looks like I've studied your, uh, did some research on your ultra sign up. So it looks like your next race was uh, ultra was the Canal Corridor. Mm -hmm. That was a no. was like two years later. It was a couple of years later. Um, there was uh, there was the whole COVID thing. Oh, and you know, uh, I had a couple kids, so we were busy um, <laughs> getting back into it. I really wanted to. Uh, I really wanted to get busy on you know, qualifying for for Badwater. That was the target. And I needed to do like minimum, at least a minimum of three. Uh, 100 milers and just from knowing the runners in akron from that akron marathon uh, i was familiar with 
I did because of my balance, I wanted to make sure that I could do something that wasn't uh, too much of a trail run. Right. And there are aren't a whole lot of paved hundred mile races. You know, there are a few. Uh, uh, a lot of them are trail runs. Uh, because you yeah, nobody wants all those runners on that road for all that long. Uh, but uh, uh, the canal corridor is it's good and flat. It's uh, it's all along the Ohio Erie Canal towpath. It's crushed limestone the whole way. It's really well man you know, manicured and maintained. So n- not a whole lot of terrain at all. It's like running on pavement. It's like running on a you know like one of those high school tracks or something. And because it's a canal, it's pretty flat. So it was a good one to cut my teeth on for that kind of distance. And I think the first the first time I ran it, it was in October. No, no, it was in July, but it was so it, it's it's Ohio and it wasn't it was warm, but it wasn't that hot, especially for a Florida boy. Yeah. And so you survived that, I see. I actually finished in uh what's is the cutoff there what, 30 hours? You, yeah, the yeah the the cutoff was thirty hours, and I think I made it in uh, made it in with twenty minutes to spare. Okay, and you ran that race the next year too. Is that right? Um, or skipped a year? I think I took I took a year off. Yeah, uh, and came back to it uh, for my second hundred miler, and I got it, made it in. Yeah, I made it in under all three of the the hundred milers were no had no more time to spare than I think thirty minutes. Yeah, so I'm like the like the cutoff king. I hear you. Me too. My last one was in uh, the Keys, and I think I was like nineteen minutes or twenty one minutes under the cutoff, something like that. I needed every minute at the time. Not the Keys, the uh, Daytona. Bob Becker the, runs both of those, the Daytona 100 and uh, Keys 100. And unfortunately, he he uh, maybe it's fortunate, but uh, I was disappointed when he wouldn't let me register for uh, the Keys 100, which I knew is a really hot race and it's all paved, but it's also pretty dangerous for a blind blind runner uh being on that uh you know overseas highway especially yeah. at night so um he he said no he, he, he didn't want that kind of liability and you know he didn't want that on his conscience and he's he's a terrific guy he, re- he really cares about all of his runners so while i was disappointed it was probably you know the best uh best choice uh, yeah. best decision yeah so you know i i registered for the daytona 100 and that thing that thing was that was brutal uh especially because i i just wasn't quite prepared and uh there was, there was a couple things that were, were going against me uh for one um it was so so damp so humid i could not uh I couldn't. I couldn't keep dry. I was dripping from my lips and nose, and um, it was just dripping off my elbows. And this is like the middle of the night. And it was just never. There was no place for my sweat to to wick off the heat. And I didn't think it was especially hot, but my body temperature couldn't come down. So yeah. it was it was pretty pretty miserable. Yeah. Um, plus, my feet were just soaked the whole time. Um, I didn't have the right socks 
and it destroyed the bottom of my feet. You know, the bottoms of my feet. I mean, the, you know, man, the skin separated. It was it was so bad. Um, but I just kept going. And plus, along the way, especially like St. Augustine, where the roads and sidewalks are so ancient that yeah. there's cracks and curb cuts and stones and you know, it's just so uneven that I was scuffing my feet or tripping um on 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 the you know the road. It was and it, there was a recent hurricane. So even in be, you know those those long stretches in between the uh the the towns, there were still sand deposits all over the sidewalks. So part, lots of times I was running running through sand and you know that uneven type of terrain. Yeah. So, uh, I, I had just a miserable, miserable time. It was uh, hot, sweaty. Uh, I was chafing everywhere, uh, blistered, and uh, you know, tripping, and just beating myself up the whole time. Uh, well, I really appreciate my crew and uh, the people that guided my guides and. You know, the, 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 you know, Bob Becker, the race director and all the volunteers and everything, everything about it. Everybody had a great time and everybody was wonderful. Like all, uh, every ultra, just the community is amazing. And I loved it. However, I had a very hard time at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. I know I did it, you know, too. And that last 15 miles, like between Ormond Beach and Ponce Inlet, it seems like every 15 or 20 steps, there's like a curb, a step down, you know, where you're crossing parking lots and things like that. And it was just brutal. I could just imagine not being able to see those coming or, you know, or even one point. Morning. Oh, yeah. One point I found, um, like a like it felt like a one inch piece of rebar literally just sticking up out of the concrete. And I kicked that thing so Ooh. darn hard. Oh man, it was brutal. Yeah. And you know, I my my the, the the entire bottom, like the balls of my feet were just like a one huge blister. And then I, I could feel it uh, expanding and I could feel it pop. Mm-hmm. And then and you know, it'd be all squishy and wet, and then it would kind of dry out, and you know, the skin would kind of fuse back to it, you know itself and dry out just a little bit as you continue to run. And then I would scuff my foot again, and that 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 skin would shift and all that <laughs> and separate again, and just hurt all over again. And it was just it was like a continuous process where. Yeah, you know, my feet were so damaged, and I just kept kept pushing. You know, kept popping my feet forward until it was over. But uh, <laughs> and I remember um, I had the worst uh, ultra arithmetic, ultra arithmetic. You know, where you you, you like you, you, especially for me when I I can't look at a you know race watch or anything like that. I have to rely on you know the the fragments of information people tell me. And and I'm trying to do the math in my head of how long it's been, how far we've gone, how much, you know, how many more miles left to go. And I'm trying to do the math in my head and it never works and it always screws me up. And it's it's always far longer than I think it is. Yeah. And, you know, they, somehow I even even what people tell me, uh, I might have heard it wrong or even just understood it wrong, like hear what I want. And. You know, towards the end, I heard somebody say, "Yeah, you know, ask how much further. We've got eight more miles." 
I'm like, okay, great. And we run, and then, you know, eight miles later, all right, we should be almost <laughs> there, right? We're coming up on it. It's like, no, man, we got eight more miles. Whoa, what? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, don't lie to me about the distance. I don't like that. So the uh, you get done with, and I did what when you mentioned the keys, I did that this year, and I agree with Bob. I mean, it is there are some places, especially that long bridge, the seven mile bridge. Where the mm-hmm. sh- the shoulder is like that you're running on is like half the width of a car, and so you have very little room between the trap oncoming traffic and the edge of the bridge, and it and it's scary at night with those cars coming so fast. And uh, I could just imagine that. And there were several times where you could see. I don't. You haven't been able to see this yourself. I'm sure you've heard of it, where people are driving with their phone up in their face and their car swerving, you know, and it's very scary when you see that, see someone coming with their phone up in their face. And, you know, the fact that if they come over in your lane, you've got to dive off the bridge into the water. (laughs) What comes in their face? Their phone. They have their phone up in their face, you know, texting or browsing. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, the the drivers. Like, I don't have that problem with my phone up in my face. No, no, no. (laughs) No, I'm saying it's scary when you see it, right? When you have a driver coming and, uh, you know, their their car is swerving because they're not paying attention. Yeah, it drives me. It drives me nuts. Um, But, yeah, this... uh, yeah, it still still kind of nags at me because I'm disappointed. I would really love to run that race, but yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't. If it's if it's too dangerous, I I like a challenge. I don't <laughs> I don't have a death wish. I hear you. So on the day that uh, they announced the entrance to Badwater, that's in January at some point, I believe. Right? Are you yes. watching it live? I was for briefly, but. The audio wasn't great, and I had no idea what they were saying. <laughs> what, what, uh, yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, yeah. For most of those live videos, especially when you get the email a day or two prior, it says all runners are required to watch the video. Uh, there will be a code or something, uh, you know, instructions in the video that you will have to follow. Like, oh man. So I would be there. I'll be on the live feed and I can't hear anything. I'm like, oh my God, somebody on my crew, I hope you're watching. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just I could I couldn't get the audio in. Um, you know, it just it, it takes perfect conditions. And unless you've got, you know, like me, the podcast, you got one of those USB microphones um uh, on the other end also. And sometimes I think they were even outside. Uh, it was, it was, it was wind or something going on. Maybe yeah. you just going live on their phone or something. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, for some reason I couldn't, I couldn't get, uh, audio to be, uh, you know, good enough quality. And it, it really has to be perfect with my, my cochlear implant being what it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think I learned from with my coach or somebody that said, you know, sent a text and said, congratulations. I'm like, Whew. and yeah, I uh, made the cut. Yeah. So you had roughly what, seven months to prepare, six and a half, seven months to prepare. So what changed? Well, I'd been preparing well before 
uh, it was actually announced. Uh, but I think it was just built up to be, you know, it was um, because, you know, of course, it was announced in January or February, February, but I'd just run Daytona. So I was recovering all of January. My feet were so mangled. Uh, but yeah, once my heat, my feet were healed up, I got back on the treadmill, I got back out on the road and um, I started preparing. And the first thing I learned very quickly is that training for bad water is involves very little running. <laughs> Uh, and instead, uh, Coach Lisa Smith Batch and my my coach had me putting on a uh, a weight vest and cranking up the incline and power walking and, and um, you know for for all those 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 uh, climbs of bad water. And so and then I would cross train with kettlebells and you know uh, deadlifts and stuff like that wall sits. Everything that will help me with uh, you help help me train that you know the Florida terrain you know lack of altitude uh, wouldn't help me and the other other part uh, the other component of that was the heat and Florida's got plenty of that. Amen. Um, to that. I would wait uh, to do my training till it was midday, you know, right around lunchtime or later, and then I'd go out in my garage that was been you know cooking in the sun, and I'd leave the garage door closed and i put my weight vest on and crank the incline up you know years ago right over my head in the garage right over the the uh the the the, the treadmill i installed one of those ductless you know the wall mounted uh, air conditioning units and that was a waste of money oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I realized i couldn't i couldn't be I couldn't let myself be comfortable. So, you know, all around that treadmill, there's like an oscillating fan. There's an air conditioner. There's a box fan. I had them all turned off as I sweat and I drank and I popped salt caps and I power walked up my treadmill for hours. And I'm like, man, this isn't fun. (laughs) Yeah. Walking is not fun as running, right? This is not what I got into. I'm, I'm supposed to be a runner. Man. <laughs> yeah, this is so you're comp- competitive power walking. So you mentioned your coach, and and I don't know her, but I know I've heard of her, and because uh, Ty has talked about her, so she is a multi-time finisher at Badwater, right? She has finished it. She's run the race eleven times, ten official. She's done the Badwater Quad. So she's run the distance all the way to the peak. So Badwater 146, all the way back to the start, and then did it again. So run (laughs) Badwater 146 times four. And uh, I believe one year she ran from Las Vegas to the start and then ran 135. Wow. Uh, Lisa is in the Badwater Hall of Fame. And uh, on her 10th completion of Badwater, the race director, Chris Kosman, retired her bib bib number, which was seven. And then last year, I guess he pulled it out of retirement to give to Bob Becker, the other race director for 
uh, Keys 100 and the Daytona 100. Yeah. Uh, and is Coach Lisa Smith Batch and one of one of her students. He's he's been training with her for I think 16, 17 years. Wow. And uh, so he could do that epic uh, uh showing you know it, 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 i'm sure you've heard of it being in in the community about uh bob becker running uh bad water last year yeah. and um at 77 years old becoming the the old, you know the oldest person to complete it you know the distance i think he was only about 17 or 19, I forget exactly, uh, just 17 minutes past the cutoff. So technically, yeah. it, it was a DNF, but it was the most inspiring DNF right. of all time. <laughs> right. He crawled like the last two miles. Yeah, Crazy. I can, yeah. I can, I can just, I can only imagine. Yeah, I, I cried sitting there watching that video, man. That is so inspiring. Yeah. Hmm. Is- and then this year, I didn't realize the the history behind it, but... I was given lucky number seven. Wow. So, um, I hope uh, I asked for it. We got it somewhere around here. I've got a picture of me holding the race bib uh, beside uh, Coach Lisa and, and, and Bob Becker, uh, the three of us, you know, with the, you know, the bib in between us. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I bet. So leading into the race. Now, one thing we haven't talked about at all is fueling. So in your, uh, hundred milers that you've done have you gotten pretty good at the fueling or does that change for you depending on how on the hot weather and all well the hot weather uh it actually didn't bother me is the the heat of bad water itself for one um i i hate humidity i don't know how i ended up living in florida but <laughs> uh because you know as like i said i'm originally from ohio i like that midwestern i like seasons and you know having experienced uh, climates like uh, you know patrols you know missions out in afghanistan and iraq you know just hanging out in kuwait for a little while it's it's hot some you know i think kuwait's a little more humid but afghanistan that desert of afghanistan gets really hot and it's really dry uh so i was no stranger to that and having trained in my garage within the humidity, I got out to the, you know, I got out to Stovepipe Wells where we stayed. It's about uh, 42 miles, it's about the 42 mile uh, point of the race course. And it's, you know, smack dab down in the middle of, the, you, know, you know, Death Valley. And it just, it's, it's like getting smacked in the face when you walk outside your hotel room uh with this you know industrial hair dryer you know blowing in your face it was hot but man i was i was just smiling because it was no humidity like i love this of course your my nose started drying up immediately you get those like dust buggers and you, uh <laughs> your your uh you know, my lips started chapping i'm like oh my god i'm gonna have to uh buy a couple extra chapsticks but i was i was happy to be in the dry heat and it didn't phase me at all it was great that I'd, i prepared for it yeah that's cool so you you get out there what three or four days ahead of time yeah we got there a couple of days early uh i flew in on the first and then uh we checked in that evening the second and the third we did a couple 
kind of get to know you uh training runs right there around that mile 50 point um you know, right outside, right, you know, mile 42, mile 50, you know, where there's some, like that, uh, it was a town, town pass where the the first climb is. And uh, not only were we getting uh, acclimatized uh, to, to the desert and some of the, you know, the actual hills, we were learning, you know, this is the first time besides uh, David Kelly, who is my 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 friend and local running partner? And he he did uh, maybe probably most of the miles. Uh, not they, they were switching out pretty regularly, but he he did um, did run a, a lot of the miles, most of the miles at uh, Daytona with me, and he'd been training with me for months um, here in Florida. But uh, besides that, he and I knowing each other, uh, I'd never met the other members of my crew, including Lisa, Coach Lisa, uh, who I'd been working with for on and off for like nine years. I'd never met her in person. So we were just getting to know each other and uh, we were uh, learning our running styles and we were also coming up with an entirely new way to guide me because. When we first got out there, we, we learned that uh, kind of like we were talking about with Keys 100, uh, the entire, pretty much the entire race course was going to be single track. And I couldn't use the that tether side-by-side running style that I've been doing for the last decade. Uh, so on the fly, we had to figure out how to to actually get step one in. You know, much less, you know, 135 miles. Yeah. Um, so the first couple of days were a lot of trial and error, testing some things out, trying to figure out, you know, with that with that tether, it's uh it's only about six inches long. Um so, and maybe, maybe, yeah. And by the time you get your fingers in, you're almost holding hands. So uh, there is a method where the guide will take the tether and they'll say, we're getting, getting narrow or single file or whatever, but the, my guide will just take the tether and put it behind their back. Like they're trying to hide me. And I just kind of fall in line with the tether. But what happens is we're still as far as, you know, one arm behind the other, you know, can reach. And I have to put my hand my arm straight out in front of me to run, you know, single file with that tether. It's really awkward. And it's a lot of tripping on heels and toes. So there's no way we could have done that for, you know, 50 yards, much less, uh, you know, the whole, whole bad water 135. So what I did was I thought, you know, it actually uh, you know, had the idea of bringing my trekking poles. I don't know why I put them in my bag. But it seemed like a good idea. I don't know. They said it was all paved, but I wasn't sure about the the climbs and if I, I would need my extra balance or something. So uh, uh, we checked ahead of time. Chris Kaufman said uh, that we could use, uh, you know, within reason, any and all methods that we thought would help me run this race. And he was really he was really awesome about that. Um, but uh, instead of using the trekking poles for balance. We actually took the tips 
of the trekking poles. I would hold the handles and we took both trekking poles and uh, taped the tips to the pacer's running belt, the bib. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of the, the you know my guide holding both of them and not being able to swing his or her arms or even like eat or drink because both hands are full while they're running, tape the tips. And, and this is the coolest part. See, besides the fact that we figured it out, um, both trekking poles, instead of one kind of kept me bracketed and I could feel if I was veering too far left or right. Um, the coolest part was that because the tips were taped to the belt and the belt was resting on my guide's hips, well, the hips would almost turn like it would, uh, the, the, the trekking poles would pump almost like horizontal pistons with uh, in the rhythm with the hips. And then I, in turn, got to swing my arms a little bit. And this is something that I hadn't been able to do in a decade of running. Wow. Because I, I had to hold that tether. So my arm, my running style for since you know 2014 uh, was to hold my arm, my whatever whichever one I was being guided with. And it was usually my left arm because my left ear is the only one that can hear. And I favored it so I could hear my guide. Uh, so I'd hold it stiff and there'd be a tension up and down my arm. So I have these terrible knots in my shoulder blades and in my in my neck. And it's it gets really painful really quickly running like that. And I would have to put up with that. And I, that was one of the things that was really worrying me about bad water wasn't the heat or the climbs. And yes, that that worried me quite a bit. It was my own that you know, like the my own baggage I was bringing with me and how bad the pain in my shoulder was going to be. It was probably going to be as bad as not uh, worse than anything in my legs or feet. And instantly, all of that was it was resolved. Uh, I got to swing my arms. I didn't have any shoulder pain the entire race, uh, and it was it was awesome. It was one of those those was a morale boost. Yeah, uh, and we get, I got to got to run as fast as and swing my arm as you know have that locomotion just like like a real boy. <laughs> Yeah. And so you would get actually be in rhythm with the person in front of you. So you you could actually feel uh, as they were going, you know, your your pace would be right on with theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was pretty terrific. And it, like for my guides also, because just as and you know, ask my, you know, uh, Dave, uh, who's been running with me for a while, uh he has to contend with the same thing because he didn't he couldn't swing his right arm and we would switch back and forth but it does definitely takes a toll when um at all times and one of your arms is at a 90 degree angle and it's hold taut as you're trying to guide or be led yeah so that was that was a huge weight off my forgive the pun off my shoulders uh but it was great and uh, that's how that's how we did the whole race and because my hearing was terrible and we ha- I now had about you know four feet of standoff three four feet of standoff from my guide who would then have to yell over their shoulder to talk to me uh, uh, we we also developed this uh whistle system 
um, Vincent Antunas, the trail toes, you know, guy was our, our team doctor, the truck, you know, drove, drove the, um, crew van. And it was the one who, uh, tracked all of our, our nutrition and, and, you know, all that intake the whole time. He did an amazing job on my feet, but he was also the one, uh, that went out and grabbed a whistle, whistles so that, uh, you know, we had a code, one tweet, one blow of the whistle was uh, walk, and two was run, and then three was stop. Very simple, but because I could hear the blast of the whistle uh, way better than I could hear somebody uh, talking, especially in traffic on the highway, on the road, it worked really well. Yeah, awesome. So the cutoff, the first cutoff is like right at 50 miles. How did you do mm-hmm. in getting to that? How far ahead of the cutoff were you? Um, we we started. We were in the first uh, stick. We were the first you know, at the eight o'clock. So we had an extra time um, to get there. Uh, but you know, that's for you know the untested first timers usually. And um, we started at eight o'clock at night and ran through the night. And we were cruising. I don't know. We were feeling. I was feeling so good. Maybe it was, yeah, it was a combination of the the training, uh, you know, being a client already acclimatized to heat and actually very appreciative of the lack of humidity. And, and the fact that I had this amazing crew, it, it, it was it, like it was a the perfect setup for getting getting me moving. And we were moving really quickly. Uh, we got to the first time cutoff with five hours to spare wow and uh that was it was that was like the first time i wasn't really i was worried the whole time come like leading like the whole time training here in florida leading up to the race getting you know starting the race i was worried about um whether or not i would do it in time i had no doubt that i'd be able to make it the distance i wasn't sure if i was going to make it uh, in the 48 hours, because just, uh, you, we, we talked about it. The, the, the only three hundred mile races I've ever run, I'd come in with less than 30 minutes to spare. And so yeah. I'm doing 135 miles and you know, also none of those races. I think the first, uh, canal corridor, there was part of the towpath that was, uh, undergoing some renovations some construction. And they rerouted, and uh, with I think it was within the the, the final ten miles, there was a brutal hill. Uh, it was it was actually um, one of the most diabolical. You know, you know, you know how like marathons always end with a hill somewhere. Was, <laughs> I don't know why they do that, but uh, um, it's pretty twisted. And that was that it was for. The hundred mile or it was it was just this brutal hill. Uh, but that's the only piece of in like elevation change that I'd run in all of those three uh you know hundred milers. And I think there's about 20 feet of elevation change of that uh uh southern discomfort. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> to come to bad water, I was really untested for a lot of it. That distance. The kind of um, cumulative gains, like the actual altitude change, the dry heat. There's a lot of unknowns there, so I was worried. And when I got 
to the first time cutoff with five hours to spare. Uh, that was when really realized that we things had come together and I might actually have a chance of doing pretty well at this this race. Yeah. Now, were there any climbs in that first 50 miles? Clues to climb. were there any climbs? So elevation gain in that first 50? Uh between Stovepipe Wells, which is about 42, the it was like the last eight miles of that uh before the the like 50 50 42 to 50.8 is where the first time cutoff is is uh about 2000 feet of gain and well it is it's it's it, i mean it's 2000 feet across 8 miles it's just like a just a slight incline but uh, i was i was too preoccupied with the fact that we were cruising. Um, and I was also a little preoccupied with the fact that we just passed our hotel and in a pretty cool swimming pool. I was really disappointed we didn't jump right in. <laughs> yeah. So you got a little taste of the elevation too. So you so after leaving that cutoff there, so you had some confidence to attack the rest of that course, right? And some trust in your preparation. Yeah, yeah, uh, things were going really well. Um, the yeah, the, the the crew was keeping me cool, spraying me down with uh, ice water, keeping my nutrition, keeping me fed, switching out every you know mile and a half or so with a fresh guide, or maybe two or three miles, <clears throat> depending on the sections. So they were staying fresh and rested and. And they were keeping nutrition and they were jumping in the AC. Uh, Vincent has this uh, new invention called the ice kerchief. And, you know, one of the tricks uh, for hot races is to roll up some ice in a handkerchief and, and tie it around your neck. Right. So he took that and created something that it's, it's a, you know, more fabric. It's a bit bigger and you could roll up quite a bit of ice in there and it comes around like a yoke and it hangs down right in your chest. So it's this roll. Uh, and it, man, that thing was awesome. It kept me so cool. Uh, kept my neck and, um, you know, it just, it just sits right on those major arteries and keeps your blood down, your blood temperature down. Uh, so, um, you know, spraying me down, switching out the ice kerchiefs with uh, fresh ice and you know everything like i said everything was was ticking like a swiss watch and i was feeling good there were for the first 50 miles there were no uh no problems whatsoever yeah now did you at some point <clears throat> reach some adversity yeah like i said uh <laughs> i i i, I posted you know i wrote up my my race recap and and did realize that it was it was virtually flat the whole way i mean it was it was flat the whole way and i knew what was ahead of me this was just the first 50 miles and it was despite the heat it was like bad water kindergarten and i was about to be educated for <laughs> real yeah, uh, so I was feeling good. I was feeling strong, but we'd even though at fifty miles you're at about forty percent completion, right? Somewhere on that. And I'm like, man, we're almost halfway done. And no way, no, no, no. You know the saying, um, you know, 
at 20 miles in a marathon, you're halfway there. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even close to halfway. Uh, we were just about to get started going up uh, Town Pass, the first of the three big you know, climbs in Badwater. And Town Pass was tough. It really was. But it, it, we it got up there. A guy uh, actually went, what was it? The, um, uh, there's a restaurant right up there. And we actually got to, I got to sit down, eat real food. I took a little break. Uh, maybe, maybe even got a nap there or something. And it was so funny. Um, I remember, I don't know where it was at the top of one of the, you know, the climbs when Dave takes me over to the, the, the truck, sits me in the, you know, shotgun seat, you know, front passenger says, uh, get some AC, take a nap. You know, you got 15 minutes. I'm like, wait, what? I don't know if I wasn't, you know, my brain wasn't working right or the cochlear implant didn't pick it all up. I just did not understand what he just said. Did you just tell me to take a nap? So he only, he repeated in just like, you know, a military to military guy. He just repeated the most important parts. Air conditioning, 15 minutes, nap. Oh, okay. So I crossed my arms, put my head to my chin, you know, my chin to my, my chest. And I passed out. It was amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. It was like taking like like a you know a four pack of double shots. You know, <laughs> I he opened the door. I'm like, it's over. But I felt better, and we kept going. It was great. All right. So you got now the first hill in 42 to 50 is not too steep, but then they get the other ones get harder as you go, right? Yeah, boom. You know, the up uh, town pass, and then, uh, you know, you got the, the switchbacks. And I learned about like these switchbacks, they're not just curves in the road, it's pretty narrow. And um, they, they tilt the turns like a racetrack, you know, for the, you know, the cars. So they don't just, you know, run right off the side of the you know, mountain when they're turning. So um, I've got to not just contend with the distance and the heat and the climb, but now gravity is trying to pull me into the road and my balance. Of course, I'm getting more tired as we move forward uh, and up. And I, you know, started, you know, would start to sway uh, one way or the other. And I definitely had at least one of my tumbles. Oh, that was, that was the next climb I fell. But um, I started, started to earn that race on Town Pass. Uh, But there were really, it was a hard climb, but there were no major incidents or anything. And the, um, the cool thing, about this the whole time was that we were just getting better and better at working together as a team and um you know every every time we stopped somebody like vincent or someone would just put a couple you know like three or four pringles in my hand or uh, you know five or six cheese it's something here's a jelly rancher and i just all i would do i hold my hand out here eat and there'd be a cookie in my hand i just shove it in my mouth and uh, it's funny too, though, that my mouth was so dry from the arid conditions that I couldn't make enough saliva 
to, to, to like break down the food in my mouth. So I'd crunch it the best I could and then take a sip of water just to soak it enough to swallow. But uh, besides that, I mean, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I, I didn't, I think I might've had a bag or two, you know, my, I had the, the, the hydration bladder on back um, because, you know, my hands are too full to do handhelds. And uh, maybe they filled my bag up once, maybe twice of tailwind, you know, some kind of nutrition. Uh, the rest of the time, it was all water, salt capsules, uh, Coke and Dr. Pepper, uh, Cheez-Its, Pringles, chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> that's the way that's that's this is why I run. So yeah. I can have all the junk food <laughs> that I truly want. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's how we fueled and that's what we did up these climbs. And then we get to the top, had a little break, had a little chow, and on the back end was um uh Panamint, Panamint Springs, uh Panamint Valley uh, spring. It was that that was like a blowing furnace. It was flat valley area and you just I don't know. I just I could just imagine it was like running through an oven, <laughs> and uh, it was hot. So that was a little bit miserable. But uh, you know, the team just kept me fed and kept me moving and kept switching out. And uh, I think it was like nine or ten miles uh, across that valley to Father Crawley. And that is the crucible. Yeah. Father Crawley is that's the that's the thing that's the thing that breaks people. Uh, I mean, um, man, if I ever meet that dude, we're gonna have words. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if he's a preacher. <laughs> so, what kind of elevation gain is Father Crowley? Mm, I can't remember four thousand four. I don't. I, I can't recall. Uh, exactly how you know what the gain is on that, okay. but it's it's really steep and it's a lot of switchbacks. And again, you know, I've got the 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 bevel, you know, the incline, the the the, the tilt of the switchbacks. So this is this multi factor of you know this compounding effect of you know crap I'm dealing with, you know, distance, heat, climb, and angle. Yeah, uh, and, and this is when I hit that that moment. That's when I, I finally came to the you know, the, the come to Jesus moment. Yeah, you know, the when you really hit the wall. That, t- that it's it's the thing we're all. Well, I imagine this the, the thing I'm searching for when I do these ultra runs, right? Yeah, you know, the the time when you get past the physical and you come to the mental wall. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm up that climb, and I'm I'm hurting. Um, you know, the the uh, blisters are starting to form. Um, but that wasn't even like that wasn't even registering. What was happening was I was so fatigued going up that mountain, trying to fight, like you know, not just staggering into traffic. Because just a couple of feet away, there are like these Cadillacs just screaming uh, down the hill. <laughs> and, you know, the, that is that road is where a lot of car manufacturers test drive 
vehicles. So they, they, you know, I was, uh, Vincent was telling me about how they use these uh, mountain passes and they'll have these nondescript bodies on these test vehicles. So you don't know what the, you know, these, you know, these cars are, you know, who's manufacturing or what, but they're testing out uh, new, new models and they come screaming through. And I'm thinking about that while I'm trying to stay between, you know, the lip of the road and not falling into the dirt and scree, you know, twisting my ankle on that little, little bevel uh, at the end of the pavement or crossing over the white line into the grill of some test car uh, coming a hundred miles at, you know, per hour right at me. And I faced the frustration of not being able to control my legs. Like I can keep picking them up and putting them down until I die. I have the willpower to move forward, but I couldn't control where they came down. And that was both, you know, angry. It was angering. It was frustrating. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was that fear of helplessness, right? Uh, and it was terrifying too, because you know I was imagining you know, all this danger. This was a real danger. Yeah. Uh, that's when they finally they said um, we gotta like I gotta take a break and uh, we'll pull to the side. You know, the team was around me, and I, I had that that breakdown moment, right? just like a freak out moment. You know, like I, I told them everything about us was practically hyperventilating, as I'm like I. I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. Um, and I told him, I can put my feet forward, but I don't know where they're going to land. And I'm terrified of, you know, that uh, car coming screaming at me. It's just feet away. And also, I'm terrified, but I'm also, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail you guys. I don't want to fail, um, the, you know, the chair, my charity partner, Building Homes for Heroes and, uh, you know, the fellow warriors that was raising money for, I didn't want to fail my family or just, you know, my you know, fellow veterans in general, because I want to be the guy that overcomes. Yeah. But I can't control my legs. So, you know, it took a moment, you know, it caught my breath. They reassured me that, you know, I had a, an excellent team that was not just there to help me move forward and keep me fed. They were there to help keep me safe. They're guides, right? Yeah. They're guiding me along this road where there is danger the entire way. And I've been going along a road with potential danger for 70, 80 miles already. 70-ish at that point. They were watching out for me. They weren't going to let me go any faster than I could control. And once I was reassured and my adult frustrated you know ultra brain uh calm down <clears throat> we got moving again and we got to the top i got a nap i got some more food got some tape and some more trail toes and <laughs> goop for the other frictioned areas and um that was I, that that was it that yeah i'd made it past the hardest part of bad water and i made it past you know the test yeah i passed the, the test in my head the rest of the time, it was, uh, you know, I still I still had further to go. It was going to be hard, but I that was the point. That was the breaking point, and I made it beyond that. Wow. 
So the next step, you get uh, there's uh, one more climb before you get to Lone Pine, and that climb, or is or is it pretty much straight? There's, there's three. There's Town Pass. There's uh, Father Crawley. There's this long stretch past Darwin, and um, I think it's Owens Lake, which is the yeah, the dry lake bed that was. Um, you ever seen Chinatown? The old uh, it's like 1947 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Talking about um, uh, the the LA Aqueduct, and it just drank that like dry. You know, running past that, and it's pretty flat. It's pretty. You know, people, uh, I think, it's, it's told that some people it's really tedious uh, and it's a little demoralizing because you can see uh, you can see Mount Whitney in the distance, and it never seems to get any closer. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I don't have that problem. Um, <laughs> but we ran, it was long and flat. We ran through the night and into the morning. And we got to, it was like the the 15-mile time check. You know, the 15 miles from the end, uh, time check. And uh, there was, uh, because of the weather and heavy rains or snowfall that winter or whatever, there was part of the uh, the, the race course that was washed out. So they, they, they had to redirect there's actually like a 15 or 17 minute drive we had to make to tr- switch you know, to, to get back on the the race course so there was i couldn't couldn't nap in the car while the thing was like moving and you know vincent was like trying to trying to do like some kind of mario kart race to <laughs> the because it, it was a tw- we had 21 minutes uh, I think it was changed to 23 minutes, but whatever. We had a time uh, cut off for the driving portion of this race. Uh, so got in the car. Um, they marked the time. I sit in the car and then had 23 minutes to get to the other, you know, the, the connecting part of the race. And I rested up and, and uh, did a little more running. And there was, it was a little bit of uh part would get basically get to um lone pine in the last climb and the sun's coming up and we just wanted to get the get it done before uh it got you know the sun got too high overhead uh i got one last 15 minute nap around there that was nice and it was kind of funny uh at some point right around there it was, it was neat because you know running through darwin which is a ghost town there's nobody there it was really quiet got into Lone Pine where there are people and there was actually people clapping and cheering me on. I'm like, oh, this is nice. It was people. Um, and then uh, a coach, Lisa, says, oh, there's a reporter. That, would you mind answering a few questions maybe at one of the switchbacks up, uh, up ahead? Sure. No problem. And we start running up this uh, up, up Mount Whitney uh, running up um, into Lone Pine and uh, man, the last 13 miles alone must be the hardest half marathon in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's never ending up. And you know, we would stop about every mile or so, get a you know, refresh our drink, get a couple Pringles or a, you know, a couple sips of uh, Coke or Dr. Pepper, and then do another mile and just keep moving and switch out in guides. And uh, I remember, uh, it, like Kathy Agazinska, uh has just long legs, and she's a really good power walker, a real good hill climber. And 
I swear, you know, she was practically dragging me up this mountain. I was, it was the point where my legs just couldn't keep up with her legs. And I was almost like, like the, my lower back muscles were straining just to hold on. Cause I was bent over trying to hold on to these trekking poles. I'm like, Kathy, <laughs> I, you gotta, you gotta slow down. And she goes, Oh, oh you know, back off on the pace. And I was like, is this better? And then like two minutes later, she's back up to her you know, fast <laughs> pace. I'm like, Kathy, come on. But but uh, it was funny. We were going, we're, we're cruising, and I'm thinking, when was that guy? When was I going to stop? Like, when do I get to answer some questions or take a break and, <laughs> and you know, answer the journalists' questions? And the whole time uh, going up this mountain, um, I uh, I was thinking in my head, like, what's he going to ask, and how should I answer? And he's probably going to ask something like, why bad water or why ultras or something like that? Like, why do you do this? And I had this whole great like <laughs> speech, you know, paragraph long thing where you know my kids deserve uh, their to have a dad, you know, you, you have a hero, right? And they deserve to to be have this example, and I do it for my fellow veterans and all this stuff. And it was like you know, of course, I'm blind and deaf, so uh, the guy was like a ninja. He just kind of out of nowhere, it's like, hey, Aaron. Why bad water? And I swear it was probably more than that. But he just said, "Why bad water?" I'm like, because and we were we didn't even stop. I don't know if it was Coach Lisa guiding me at the time or uh, Kathy, uh, but I do remember um, we didn't we didn't stop to talk to him. He just kind of was alongside me for a moment, and I said, "Because my, you know, I think I just said because my my boys does my my kids deserve a hero." Um, and whatever was the tone of my voice, or whatever really sounded pretty arrogant and to me, to me. <laughs> but then he, there was no response from him, and I wanted to say more, but we kept moving, and I don't think he was willing to run the race with <laughs> me to 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 get a follow up question. In. So that was it, <laughs> and we kept going, we kept going every mile or so, and. I tried to stay away from the um, the arithmetic thing at this point because remember at the end it get really bad at it. But I swear, um, uh, I one of the stops I asked Vincent how much further, and he said five miles. And then uh, Coach Lisa uh, picked up. You know, we started up again after I got a couple cheese its in or a you know cookie in, and and I asked her, and she said seven miles. Okay, hey, 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 wait, what? How did that happen? Vincent just said five miles. And she goes, no, he didn't. I swear. I swear he did. Okay, I'm going crazy. I'm going, I'm going ultra. Um, and, but we just kept, kept doing it. Run a mile, eat, pause for, you know, 20 seconds, run a mile. And, and then it was, and, and I kept to that seven mile count instead of my five mile count. I, you know, error on the side of caution. And we got down to, it didn't take me long, and I forgot at about four or three or something like I lost count again. But then all of a sudden, um, you know, they rotated back around, and Lisa wanted to, you know, guide me across the finish. She goes, she goes last mile, and then she started counting down the quarter miles. And I swear, I missed this part in you know high school physics, but I'm pretty sure length of distance begins to extend kind of like the theory of relativity, the further you're trying to go away from the point of 
gravity. Now, I don't know, something like that, because up this mountain, a quarter mile is forever. <laughs> so it's like three quarters a mile, half a mile, just a quarter mile to go. I'm like, this is the longest quarter mile. She goes, it's just one lap around a track. This is how far you have to go. I'm like, what? Who's track? Because <laughs> it just never ended. But then I started to hear um, that, you know, that faint sporadic cheer or a some applause or something. It seemed like it was in the distance. And then before I knew it, it was it was lots of cheering. And and then we stopped. <laughs> we were there. And people started slapping me on the back. And Chris Cosmos was right there. And it was it was he was talking and congratulating me and shaking my hand. And there was an awkward point where I'm not sure if um, I'm supposed to be holding out my hand. Like he was waiting for me to take the buckle or if I'm just holding out my hand, like impatiently, like put it in my hand, you put it there. <laughs> right. And so I'm just kind of like, um, should, I, should, I, should I? And finally, I was like, here's your buckle. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Yay. Uh, but then there was more, a little more ceremony as he, uh, there was another awkward moment where I was, he was handing me the, this, this, uh, finishers t-shirt explaining what was on it and trying to hand it to me in a manner that I thought, am I supposed to be putting this on? <laughs> and he wouldn't let me like dive into the shirt. He was like, no, I just want you to, to hold it out in front of you for pictures. I'm like, ah, oh, that makes more sense. And you kind of went on like that for a few minutes. We got the pictures in. I got to sit down. Um, and I got I got to meet other finishers uh, and like like uh, Kaylee Fredericks and um uh Ashley Paulson in 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 um uh Ben Jones was up there and uh, Bob Bob Becker came and said hi. We got that, you know, the 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 three lucky number seven finishers it was just it was great somebody asked me if i wanted a burger i'm like yeah that sounds great but again <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't produce saliva so i took one bite of this excellent burger and I'm like, somebody take this i can't i'm not gonna dump um water all over a burger just to just to eat it i'll eat later but yeah. um it was it was an amazing experience and uh it was great and it is it's like a family reunion people you don't even know you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That that that, that, that finish line is it's a great place to be. Yeah. Now, is your family out there with you for the race? Oh, uh, I didn't have any family out there. No, it was okay. just me. I was just curious if they were at the finish line. Okay. Mm. Uh, my dad lives in California in Laguna Beach, which I think is about a two hundred and sixty something mile drive, and. Uh, <laughs> on July 3rd, he decided to come surprise me by driving out to Furnace Creek and, and Stovepipe Wells to come wish me luck before the race. Only thing was, we'd driven all the way out to Lone Pine for the pre-race, <laughs> you know, safe, safety, you know, the check, the racer check-in and all that. So we were like two hours away from him he hung out at the soapipe wells bar and had a couple of drinks with the bartender and you know they both talked talked about you know his son for a little bit and then he had to get get back to laguna beach because he was throwing a fourth of july party the next day and <laughs> um but it was it was it was you know driving over 500 miles to uh come <laughs> 
come and see your son and you know surprise him and i didn't show up but uh, <laughs> uh it, it was a it was a really nice gesture by my dad right and, um, it was great yeah okay well that that was amazing uh story storytelling one thing i wanted to ask you before we close out uh, a couple of things one you have a podcast so what do you do with your podcast what is it about what kind of guests do you have i, I don't think it's about running necessarily is it no not always um but sometimes yeah i am the host a point of impact and the point of the point of impact is to bring guests on and sometimes it's just my perspective my point of view but it's to help others find their best life so those those core those pillar areas of family you know faith fitness finances and and fun and trying to find you know the most efficient way and the best way to unlock the best life you can live so that you in turn can you know be the greatest you know um be be you know, leave that legacy that you truly want you know be the the you know that uh part of society you know, leave a legacy and make an impact in your community yeah Awesome. Well, I will, uh, if you will email it to me, but I also wanted to ask you about your, the charities that you were running for. Are you still doing, raising money for those charities or was that just a thing through Badwater? Uh, the, as, uh, as we're speaking right now and probably shortly after you, you release this, uh, the, the, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the, the fundraiser page should still be up. So I'll give you that link and okay. uh, if you want to put it in the show notes, but it's building homes for heroes. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds perfect. Well, I will I will put this that those links in the show notes and a link to your podcast. And uh man, I, I really enjoy talking to you. Uh, I know you you may get I don't know if you do or not get tired of hearing this, but man, I really thank you for your service to our country. And uh, man, you are such a awesome example of uh, take playing the cards that you're dealt with, man, and uh, and making the best of it. And uh, I love it because I learned something and I laughed and I'm crying now talking. <laughs> and uh, it's been awesome. And I, I want to thank you. It was an honor to share the time with you. And thanks again for, for taking me up on it. Well, thank you for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. And that's you know, the reason I have the podcast. Uh, selfishly, I want to learn how to live my best life too. So I hear you. Uh, you know, I'm bringing on some amazing people to so I can learn from them. But I, you know, share those lessons at the same time. And yeah. uh, of course, my uh, I appreciate my own service. You know, it was an honor for me to have had the opportunity to. You know, do something for my country, you know, for you. You're worth it. My family's worth it. Your listeners are worth it. And I'm honored to have been able to, to serve like that. So thank you for my service. All right. Well said. Good way to close. Well, thanks again, Aaron. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. What an amazing guy. Humble, inspirational, tough as nails, smart, driven, committed, confident. Need I say more? I feel like I grew up a little bit because of that conversation. I hope it enhanced your life too. 
I'm going to share the link to Aaron's podcast on the show notes and also his website. And I hope you follow him and support him if you feel inclined. Thanks again for listening. I wanted to tell you that I am updating my website and I've talked to several race directors and I'm going to be posting some links to some really good races with discounts to some if you use a special code. I'll have all that information in the links on the website, mileswithmarty.com. I want to sincerely thank you for sharing some of your miles with Marty today. I know there's lots of things out there that you could give 60 to 90 minutes of your time. And the fact that you chose me and my podcast and some of my awesome guests means the world to me. also want to remind you that we're sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter and MetPro. Check them out on metpro.co online or at metproco on Instagram. Squirrel's Nut Butter comes in several different forms. Some of my favorites are the original Gangster, which comes in a plastic roll-on type tube similar to deodorant, and it is an anti-chafe, anti-blister salve. That's always great. There's a new one that comes in a compostable tube that's entirely plant-based, and then there's the Happy Toes. The Happy Toes is a medicated product that has peppermint and tea tree oils, and it does a great job with repairing dry and cracked skin skin whilst providing an anti-blister type lubricant for your feet as well. So check them out on squirrelsnutbutter.com. Spread the lube and your blister and chafing issues will no longer be issues. 